It would be fun to be a high school history teacher this semester. You have a real world example of why we have three branches of government and they're duking it out in Columbus. We'll be talking about that today on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Laura Johnston. It's snowing again. I can't believe it. Let's just move right past it and pretend it's not outside our windows. I could say it's Groundhog Day, but we already had that, right? <laughs> and you saw a shadow, so we're doomed. Well, from Groundhog Day, this winter is never, ever going to end. <laughs> and Laura's over there going, yay, I can ski. I, I, I'm loving all the snow on the ground. It yeah, makes the boo. world a brighter place. <laughs> All right, let's go. What did the Ohio Supreme Court say to the Republicans in Ohio leadership about their second set of gerrymandered maps? Laura, this was a late afternoon decision that was released, and it really doesn't surprise us. No, it doesn't. It's good to see, though. It's heartening to basically say, see the court say, sorry, you still didn't follow the instructions. We're kicking it back to you. So maybe the third time will be the charm, but they, they didn't give in to Republican demands about deadlines. And once again, Republican Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor joined the court's three Democrats in rejecting these latest set of maps, and they gave the commission until February 17th to draw new lines. They are faulting the Republicans for using the old map as a template for the new one and adding additional but just slightly Democratic-leading districts in response to the previous order. They wanted them to start from scratch, and they wanted them all to work together. But in a quote, they say, the commission nevertheless adopted the revised map using the, that process on a party line vote. This was not the process our decision contemplates. So basically they said, if you start with the wrong idea, you're going to end up in the wrong place and go do it again. There is a dissenting opinion coming from Justice DeWine and Sharon Kennedy. And Justice DeWine, whose dad is a party to the case and who hasn't recused himself in one of the most mind boggling decisions an Ohio Supreme Court justice has ever made in Right. With some really partisan ideas, basically saying, I mean, they wrote a sarcastic dissent saying, I guess the Supreme Court just thinks it should draw the maps itself. Like it's it's kind which, of that, you know, which preposterous about that is right. they most certainly are not doing that. What I loved about this is the Republicans came in and said, you got to postpone your decision till after the election because you pushed up against the deadlines. And they slapped them hard, mm -hmm. saying mm -hmm. that's completely in the legislature's purview. We suggest you change the deadlines, right. move the election. That's in your power. You know, basically saying if you hadn't played around with this with your partisan nonsense, we wouldn't have to delay it. The the idea that they they said again, you didn't do what we told you to do. I mean, it gets back to what I said at the beginning of the podcast. This is why we have three branches of government. You know, the executive and the legislative are completely failing in their duties to the citizens of Ohio. Citizens of Ohio passed a, a constitutional amendment to fix our broken system for drawing these maps. And these guys have, have defied it, openly defied it at every turn. The third branch of government is the only thing holding them accountable, and it's by one vote. I mean, mm -hmm. the three dissenters are just playing the party stooges. It's amazing the way they're arguing to keep the state gerrymandered. Right. Sharon Kennedy is one of them. She wants to be the chief justice. It's unbelievable. They're actually throwing that language around. They're saying the Democrats are trying to gerrymander the state no. to get to that 54-46 split. And that, I mean, so there's, they're accusing the Supreme Court of, of doing gerrymandering. Yeah, Pat DeWine sent out a mailer this week saying, hey, 
I have a real opponent. This is going to be challenging. We can only hope because what they are doing is a disservice to Ohioans. Maureen O'Connor is the only line. But you could argue, Laura, that this means the system is working. I just would like to see the system work a little bit better on the front end and not know that like all of our future legislative decisions are not dependent on one reasonable, thoughtful person in well, in Columbus. Let, let me ask you this. So now they've been slapped twice. Mm-hmm. Twice they've been, you children, go back and play nice. Do you think Mike DeWine in the executive role of governor finally says, okay, 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 guys, let's do this right? Or, or do we think they'll do what they've been doing before and try and sneak one through again? I, I mean, I would love to say I think they're going to stand up, shake themselves off and say, you know what? We've been we've been scolded. We really need to do it right this time. But nowhere have I seen that backbone in any of this months and months of back and forth. And I mean, I would have liked to say that LaRose, Keith Faber and and Mike DeWine were all reasonable, thoughtful people to begin with. And they have just shown over and over again that they just bend to the the will of Bob Cup and Matt Huffman, two Republican old white guys from Lima, like, like it's, over and over. It's the party stooge mentality. It's party before the people, party before what's best for the voters, party before everything. Mm-hmm. And it's a and, sad state of affairs. And that the that's three justices are doing it, too. I don't know how you could be a, a, a lawyer and a scholar and a smart person and and actually come to that conclusion unless you had a preconceived notion of what the end result should be. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Does Cleveland's new law prohibiting balloon releases make any sense? Is it enforceable? And why can you let nine balloons go into the air at one time, but not ten? Layla, we <laughs> talked about this a few weeks ago and said we need to do a deep dive into the thinking here. Bob Higgs wrote a delightful story looking at this. But in the end, my take on this is this is stupid. You would have been better off just (laughs) using ads in the CPP bills to say, please don't release Mylar balloons into the air. Right, right. Yeah, Bob took a closer look at this. I mean, it struck us all as just a little bit silly when it passed as one of Cleveland City Council's first actions of the new legislative calendar, banning the release of 10 or more balloons. I mean, first of all, Huh? (laughs) I mean, Cleveland obviously faces some really pressing problems. Is this really one of them? But then there's the question of why is releasing 10 balloons a crime, but nine is okay? And will cops actually show up at a birthday party or a memorial service and start writing citations for folks who are releasing balloons? So, I mean, the councilmen who sponsored this legislation, Brian Casey and Kevin Bishop, say they did it to bring the issue to light. And Yes, they say it is a problem. Even though the new law falls under littering, the real impetus for this was protecting CPP from power outages. They say that at least a dozen Cleveland public power outages a year are directly caused by mylar balloons getting tangled in power lines. Apparently, their shiny metallic coating allows for current flow and can spark power outages or start electrical fires. First Energy, First Energy says Mylar balloons caused 132 outages across their entire coverage area in 2019. So 
okay. I mean, when you put it All that right, but, way. But let me ask, <laughs> you won't be able to answer this, but I bet that's like one-tenth of one-tenth of 1% of all the outages that are caused by the lousy maintenance they do. I mean, let's face it. Is it, is it Mylar balloons? Is it they don't spend any money to keep their, their system working? Yeah, right. Exactly. And the other question, you know, why 10? It seems Cleveland modeled its ordinance after one that was passed in Toledo, which also used 10 as that threshold. And Brian Casey says at 10, you can ensure that someone who accidentally releases a few balloons doesn't run afoul of the law. Okay, but wait, 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 wait. Though we asked Toledo how they came up with ten. What yes, did they tell yeah, us? Yeah, very amusingly, a spokesperson for the Toledo mayor said he could not guess when the last time a cop cited someone for breaking the balloon ban. And in fact, he doubted many officers even knew the laws on the books. And so, you know, in fact, I think the spokesperson had a had a hard time tracking down the legislation and. <laughs> I mean, so when it we like asked they went them, through a similar, similar. But when we asked them why ten, they basically said beats me. Right? Yeah, right. They, I mean, I think remember. like maybe they're modeling it after another city, and you know, cities across the you know entire states have banned these balloon releases, and and they all choose different arbitrary numbers as the threshold. I, so right, they, one's twenty five, one's fifty. No, right. The, the thing is, when you pass a law. People look for ways to get around it. So if you had 100 people at a wedding and you gave them each one balloon and the people all let go one balloon, does that count? Well, as a big no. Well, it's you know, Bob and, I were talking, Bob and I were talking about it, though, and he was saying that the legislation actually, it, it, it also targets people who organize these balloon releases. So if you gave everyone one balloon and you're the organizer, you're going to, you know, you could ostensibly be cited for that. So how do you prove that I (laughs) wanted them? Look, the the problem is, if this is a serious problem, you know, they send bills to people. They have the power of the pulpit. Why not just publicize when you release balloons, you jeopardize the electric system, you jeopardize the environment. Play on the hearts and minds instead of using the hammer. I mean, Mike Polensic said it right off the bat. We got lots of unenforceable laws Mm -hmm. on the books. The fact that they spent time on this. I mean, the, the, the public thinks this is ridiculous. I've heard from no end of people saying, please, this is what they're doing with all the big problems they have. And it won't solve the problem. It'll be like Toledo. No one will even know it's on the books right. after we finish talking about it. Yeah. Today. And you know, it's funny. This was actually proposed at the end of the last, you know, in December, toward the end of, you know, the outgoing council's time. And so it was sort of like the last act of the last council, but because it came up for passage in January, it was seen as the first, the first act of the new council, which is just so unfortunate that it looks like this is their top priority. I'll bet Kevin <laughs> Kelly and Blaine Griffin are really fighting to make it part of their legacy and not That's the right. others. <laughs> All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What does the merger of Frontier and Spirit Airlines mean for Cleveland travelers? Lisa, the, the, the story makes it sound like this is a good thing, but I kind of question that. I don't know. It's hard to say. And, you know, the merger may not go through. Yesterday, it was announced a $6.6 billion merger deal between two of the biggest low-cost airline competitors, Frontier and Spirit. They hope if this is pa- if this passes muster by the Department of Justice for antitrust issues, it will be the fifth largest airline. And they really want to compete directly with the big four, Delta, United, American, and I'm forgetting the other one, but anyway. 
I'm like Rick Perry. I forgot the other one. But anyway, um, both Frontier and Spirit have a pretty good Cleveland presence. They served 2 million passengers combined, and that's 27% of the total at Hopkins Airport. And that was actually more than United. Of course, Cleveland is no longer United Hub. Um, Frontier served 13 destinations out of Hopkins. Spirit serves 11 destinations from Hopkins. But a lot of their uh, flights overlap, especially in Florida, Las Vegas, and Cancun. So we'll see, you know, how this measures out. Do we get more, you know, flights? We don't know. Robert Kennedy, who is the head of the Cleveland Hopkins Airport, says it's an important market for both Frontier and Spirit, and he believes it could result in new destinations. But like I said, with that little bit of overlap, I don't know. We'll have to see. But they compete. And when you have two competing entities, they reduce prices to win the competition. If you take away the two comp competitors mm. then the single one left gets to set their price and i i don't see how reducing competition at cleveland hopkins airport is a good thing for the passengers we had lots of people saying they think it would be including the airport director which i'm a little bit surprised at because that's not the way capitalism works layla you're always talking about all you want is a cheap price does this give you confidence that you'll get cheap prices i don't know i mean you're asking the wrong person. I'm just not a traveler. <laughs> just not. This isn't my thing. <laughs> Laura, with you're, two, you're you're with a two year old. I guess you just don't like getting on airplanes. <laughs> yeah, Laura. What about you? I mean, you're 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 more of a jet. I I flew Spirit one time, and I've flown Frontier before. I think. I mean, I agree with Chris. I don't see that limiting the number of budget airlines, and I'm always going for the budget airlines. Okay, like I don't, I don't need the big four. I just need who's going to get me there cheaper with a bag. So I, 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 yeah, I wonder how this could be a good thing. Okay, you're listening to today in Ohio. This is why I avoid swimming in Lake Erie, Laura. What are the places in greater Cleveland most likely to have untreated sewage flowing into the waterways? I know this is not something I like to think about because, yeah, nobody wants to swim in sewage, but it is still happening. The Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District is working on this. This is part of their pr Project Clean Lake, which is billions of dollars over decades to try to fix this problem. So far, they have eliminated about 1.7 billion gallons a yeah, year yeah, yeah. from Lake yeah, Erie. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's, I let's, know. Get, let's get, where's the sewage? All right, to the gross let's stuff. To the All point. right. Number this is based on 2010 numbers though. So I mean, hopefully they're better by now. But um 542 million gallons a year per year, 27 activations. That's the number of times this has been flooded with water at Easterly Wastewater Treatment Plant. That's directly into Lake Erie. Number two is uh Morgana Run in the Cuyahoga River. That's at the Independence Road and um and Hampton or Hydeman Parkway intersection 420 million gallons a year is that King a place where people kayak i i don't know exactly where this is <laughs> not it's not anymore. somewhere you're going to be swimming <laughs> i mean i don't know anybody swimming in the in the river just to be clear all right where else but the westerly wastewater treatment plant is number four and that is right near edgewater park so mm -hmm. obviously there's a whole lot of yacht of um, sailboats there there's whiskey island and and the beach and uh, Big Creek near Memphis Avenue, Lake Erie at Gordon Park, that's number eight. That's right near East 72nd Street. A lot of boats there. And uh, East 55th is, is uh, number wow. nine on there. Hmm. So yeah, these are not great. These, this happens when there's a lot of rainfall and the pipes cannot accommodate all that water because we have combined sewer 
and stormwater and a lot of places in Cleveland. Okay. Well, be thinking about that next summer, Laura. Is you <laughs> That's why you don't Italy. swim after a big rain. Oh. Like, you give it a day oh. to get oh. all oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's my feeling exactly. <laughs> you took the words Can right out of my mouth. Can I just tell you one time, and this is so tangential, but related to this, I took my kids one time to swim at Huntington, and uh, my little littlest one at the time was toddling around and she was like, hey, mommy, what's this? And she pulled up, I'm not kidding, a piece of toilet paper, like five Ugh. feet long. Ugh. Gross. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. People might be listening to this while they're reading. Let's move on. It's Today in Ohio. We reported a week ago on all of the ideas that came from the volunteer committees appointed by Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibb to aid in his transition. Now we know which ideas he chose and how we can track his progress on them. Layla, what are they? And I'm intrigued by one of them. Yeah, I mean, first of all, what I found most remarkable remarkable about this story is the transparency and accountability of, of this plan. I mean, creating an online tracking method for these goals strikes me as such an extraordinary step. I can't tell you how many times in the past couple of decades we've seen some initiative rolled out with great pomp and circumstance. And then years later, we wondered, well, what in the world ever happened to that? And of course, you know, asking that question of the previous administration meant wading into the abyss where questions and public records requests would go to die. So I can't tell you how refreshing it is to see a mayor publish each of these goals online and then commit to tracking his own progress for all to see. So now that I've said that, <laughs> these priorities were pulled from the suggestions that were made by an you know 80 plus person team that Justin Bibb had created to advise his transition into office and, and establish goals for the first 100 days. And Bibb says he's going to focus on 85 of them. And his list includes some smaller short-term goals like starting contract negotiations with the unions that represent police, fire, and EMS, and then some more specific initiatives like forming a Black Women's Commission and pursuing complete and green streets legislation to support multimodal transportation and sustainable infrastructure and street projects and things like that. He's also going to take some early steps toward broader policy changes that are likely to take longer, like police reform, citywide broadband access and improving services for kids and developing vacant land, things like that will go on the list. And also are the first steps for these really sweeping transformative initiatives like reimagining the city's lake and riverfronts, which we talk about all the time, and establishing a universal basic income pilot program like some other cities have. And bringing to Cleveland aspects of what they call a 15-minute city, which is this concept that that caught on in Paris and other cities that would, would allow residents to find most of their daily necessities within a short travel distance from home. A lot of these are ideas that Bibb campaigned on. And, you know, campaign promises tend to go to the wayside once someone takes office. So to see these huge ideas getting the official commitment from the new mayor and and being tracked online for everyone to to see you know like now that's what i'm talking about right yeah no it's <laughs> like we're a month in and he's already impressive i mean I, it's it, it's nice to see this one of the things that struck me it, and maybe it's because of my history but but he wants to make a separate department for parks mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and right now Parks is covered by the Department of Public Works. So the director of that department not only has to think about parks, he's got to think about 
snow plowing. Right. He's got to think about garbage pickup. He's got to think about street sweeping, all that other stuff. And, you know, I covered City Hall. I've paid attention to City Hall for decades. And it never really hit me that we don't have a director level person focused squarely on making sure the parks are tended right. to. And, and that's a quality of life issue. The parks are all through the city. And if they're not getting that kind of attention because the person in charge is diverted to a hundred other things that are pressing, like snow plowing, mm-hmm. we're not going to mm-hmm. we're not going to see them improve. And it's like it's such an obvious idea. But it took the fresh eyes of Justin Bibb to make it happen. My question about that, does that include recreation too? Like, is it parks and rec? Because those, that would be a lot of after school programs and stuff that Bibb is also pledged to. That's true. Correct? That's true. Well, it it, it goes hand in hand, but at least Mm -hmm. it's cohesive. I mean, right. No, no, I I, I completely agree. I don't want the same guy, like, thinking about snow plowing, thinking about like after school programs for kids and trash pickup. The the thing that also I, what struck me when I read that, I thought, you know, the city did a terrible job managing the lakefront parks for years and years and years before they finally turned them over to the metro parks this probably explains why yeah you know if you're so busy making sure the trash is picked up and trying to come up with a workable recycling program how much time do you really focus on parks? you know and honestly there are parallels to what you're saying to the whole discussion about um about the market Right. I mean, they're saying, you know, the market vendors have all said, you know, we, we can't even get maintenance, basic maintenance of this building because, you know, the city is so bombarded with all these other maintenance requests. And we are just you know, part of the you know big uh, system that they have to maintain. And it's the same like Bib is kind of seems to be focusing on on creating specialization within his uh, his system so that there is greater focus and care paid to these assets of the city right yeah there's a new energy radiating down there he's got a long way to go he could fumble quite a bit before it's over but really impressive the way he's attacked this very methodically and quickly i mean Mm -hmm. he's only been in office for about five weeks so we'll have to see how these go you're listening to today in ohio Ohio had its third day in a row below a significant threshold for new coronavirus cases. Lisa, what is it and how far have the case counts fallen? Are we coming out of the Omicron variant pandemic? It certainly seems that way, Chris. On Monday, uh, 2,594 new cases of COVID were reported. That marks the third day that we've been under 3,000 new cases a day. Also, ICU admissions and hospitalizations are lower. Um, Of course, the the toll has been hard on Ohio, just as it has been on every other state or all around the world. the total number of cases in Ohio since this all began back in 2020 is 2.6 million, and we've had over 33,000 deaths since 2021. 17,000, almost 18,000 deaths were in unvaccinated people, 872 deaths in fully vaccinated people. Uh, we are up to uh, 65% in Ohio of people aged five and up that have had at least one vaccination. So hopefully we're moving in the right direction. Yeah, but if we can stay below 3,000 and keep decreasing, that'll be a sign that we're seeing this in our rearview mirror, hopefully. Yeah, it's it, we don't we haven't talked about the numbers in a while because they move around a good bit. But this seemed like getting under 3000 for three days in a row is a pretty big step for the weeks. How many weeks were we at 19 and 20,000? It was staggering. Mm-hmm. So hopefully by this time next month, we'll be 
really coming out of it. It's today in Ohio. What was the consensus at a Cleveland City Council hearing Monday about how Mayor Justin Bibb did with his second big snowstorm at the end of last week? Laura, there's lots of interest in getting the snow cleared. There is. And basically, he met the city's goals, but they're saying the goals were not good enough. And they really need to revamp the way that they handle snow plowing. And this is, you know, they've been talking about this for weeks and they keep getting tested on it, but that they need to improve their system. And Bonnie Tewin is the chief operating officer for um, for Bib, and she worked in public works for a very long time. So she, this is like her wheelhouse. And she said the policy doesn't meet the residents and businesses of Cleveland. And also they had that snow tracker for the very first time that showed which roads were being plowed, but it wasn't completely accurate. So while it's nice to know what progress is going to be made, if it's not reflecting reality, then that's going to cause problems. So everything was cleared within 72 hours, but they're saying, you know, that's not that's not fast enough. No. And just because something gets plowed at the beginning of the storm, obviously it's going to keep snowing. And that's not that's not the solution. I, I think yeah. I think that was one of the one of the flaws in this, even though I love transparency and I was like thrilled to see that map with all the green lines and you could watch the plows sort of move along the path and know where they are. And I was like, man, I bet that brings so much comfort to people knowing that the plow is almost to their street. But the the curse of it is that if you were if you're if, if your street was plowed at the beginning of that storm and then it didn't get enough attention or any attention again until like a foot of snow had fallen again, like you, your street looks green on the map and you're, you're still buried. And so I think that was what, when one of the things that came up during the hearing was like, you know, technology is great, but it can also, you know, it's a double-edged sword. He did say when he revealed the map that this is in beta, that it's not where he wants it to be, but he was taking the step for transparency. So he did qualify That's it, saying, true. I want this to be better. What would be great is if they could have add to the map how many inches of snow are on the street at any given time. So <laughs> then you'd know, right? I mean, let's let's. I get... feel like we're asking a lot at this yeah. point that we can't even get accurate snowfall prediction maps, you know, so. Well, well and it, it, this is Northeast Ohio, people. Come on. I mean, you know, <laughs> do you really expect your driveway to be cleared as soon as the snow stops after 16 inches of snow? Come Don't on. you love the fact that they are talking about it and looking for solutions rather than saying, this is the plan, we followed the plan, it's good enough? I mean, they're talking about changing up the sizes and types of snow snow removal vehicles because the large dump trucks can't clear the narrow roads like those in Ohio City or Little Italy. I mean, I feel like, the, and didn't we talk about how they were making too many left turns and they need to get better paths where they're making more right turns? Mm -hmm. I mean- I like that we're talking about this and coming up with solutions to try to make it better rather than say, <laughs> hey, it's snowed, get over it. I will What's say that there was that? a very interesting anecdote in the story about how the the call takers who were supposed to be manning the phone lines for people calling for service, that a lot of them couldn't get to work <laughs> because of the snow. And that's they why- They should be able to answer a phone remotely. I know. So that's, a, that's another thing that's been put on the list for improvement is finding a way for those particular city workers to be able to handle all of that remotely. I mean, that you'd think that that would be a no-brainer for, you know, well, why haven't we been doing that by now? <laughs> that left turn, right turn thing is something UPS 
built into oh. its system decades ago. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they've always designed their routes for that. You would think that the city would have picked up on that before now. Uh, but good stuff. Good discussion. You're right. It's good that people are talking about it, including us. It's Today in Ohio. Did Northeast Ohio's native gold medal winner on the snowboard from 2018 repeat his feat in the Olympics in China this week? Layla, I suspect this will be the only time we talk about the Winter Olympics on this podcast, (laughs) but we got a local angle. I know we do. And unfortunately, you know, Red Gerard came up short this time. He, He had won the gold in the 2018 Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang when he was 17. And he was the youngest American male to win Olympic gold in snowboarding. But on Sunday, night. He missed the podium, unfortunately. I mean, so in slope style skiers, uh, snowboard, I'm sorry, the snowboarders head down the hill, they navigate across rails and, and up ramps, and they pull those amazing aerial stunts along the way. Gerard had a really impressive initial run and a, an overall clean second run, but then there was a bobble on his final run, and that's what did him in. So Canadian Max Parrot earned gold, China's Su Yiming took silver, and then Canada's Mark Mc, McMorris won bronze. But you're right. This is our this is our local boy. <laughs> I, I feel like I need to chime in here because I hated that some of the headlines were like, you know, Red Gerard fails to defend Aww. defend medal and has a miserable day on the slopes. It's like the guy got fourth place at the Olympics. Can we just like yeah. be proud of and that? I'm sorry. I mean, what was everyone else doing at 21 years old? <laughs> it's like the commentators, like you know, sitting sitting inside watching. No. But, uh, the Canadian who won is actually 27 and three years ago was diagnosed with Hodgkin lymphoma. So like, I mean, there are good, wow. there are good news stories all around. Yeah. And the Canadian women beat the American women in hockey. hockey so I'm sure yeah. you're They're going to face off again. It's going to end up in the finals. All right. It's today in Ohio. We're seeing news this morning that the Peloton factory in Ohio is being abandoned because of Peloton's financial troubles. We'll be talking about that tomorrow. Hope it doesn't also happen to the Intel plant. We're going to lose all our coolness. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens to the podcast. Come on back tomorrow. We'll have Seth Richardson on to talk about politics.